Hey, if you're listening to this episode right now, chances are you heard from me or my brother or sisters that this interview is a great representation of the man our dad was. He loved movies, he loved his family, and he also loved snacking. We miss him a lot, and I hope you enjoy this conversation about his favorite musical, Meet Me in St. Louis. I was six years old when it first came out, but I don't, I don't remember seeing it when it first came out. Uh, I saw it in reissues back in the late 40s, and uh, reissues were very popular back then because they, they didn't have TV, so you could watch old movies. So well, like if a popular movie came out like 1944, uh, maybe 1948, 1940s, 47, they would have a double feature of like two old films. Like I remember I saw The Adventures of Robin Hood in uh, 1948. And that was on a double feature with another movie, which I can't uh, remember. But uh, since it came out in 1938, I that's when I was born, so I didn't see it then. So yeah, I guess I just didn't realize that how... Other than their release in the theaters, there was no other way to, to see, see the movie the old, again. That's right, to see the old movies. And I remember seeing the coming attractions for The Adventures of Robin Hood because it was in Technicolor, which was very rare for 1938. Mm-hmm. There was only a few movies made in color at that time. So, what, was, what were the differences from Technicolor to the other films at that time? Well, Technicolor... Like if you see the the Adventures of Robin Hood now, like on DVD, it's it's like it's it's like watching a painting. Mm-hmm. The colors are so vivid, and because uh, I remember watching that that HD DVD that I had. yeah that you that you got that version that was so crystal clear. Gosh, well see. That the original Technicolor back in the 1940s through the early 1950s, they had to use three huge cameras. It was a very expensive process and it was very time consuming. Mm-hmm. But it gave you the most uh, vivid color. And uh, so, like around 1953, I think. They stopped using that process of the three huge separate cameras and they went to a, what they call Kodachrome mm. process. So even though like you see movies in the 1950s and the 1960s or even the 70s, some of them have in Technicolor, but it's, it's not. It's not the original Technicolor. Mm. That's when you, when you see a copy of Gone with the Wind or... Meet Me in St. Louis or Robin Hood, the colors look much different Yeah, than the colors that you see today. We're, so Meet Me, for those that haven't seen it, Meet Me in St. Louis is a musical. And were musicals just a separate genre back then? Like, how, What percentage of movies that were out in theaters were musicals around then? Oh, there were much more. There was a lot of musicals. MGM... Uh, who was known as the uh, best uh, studio to put out the lavish musicals? 20th Century Fox, Betty Grable was a. She, at one time, she was number one at the box office 
in the 1940s, and she, and she made movies for 20th Century Fox. Uh, made some great musicals. Um, Paramount Studios had musicals with Bing Crosby, Fred Astaire, Betty Hutton. Uh, so I really I do just a heck of a lot of musicals, probably as much as any other thing like drama or mm-hmm. westerns. Why do you think they ended up uh, going the wayside of just having to go to see a play? Why do you think they stopped making movies, musicals? Uh, because they, uh, back around the 19, I'll say around 1955 or so, when tele- television really took hold, uh, people... There weren't as many people going to the movies, and musicals were very expensive to make mm. and very time-consuming because of the rehearsal time that you had to use for the dance numbers, yeah. the choreography, the lavish sets, and all that jazz. So uh, it just got too expensive because people don't realize in 1946... Right after uh, one year after World War II, there were 90 million people who went to the movies every week. Wow! And as television started to start uh, take a foothold uh, back in the late 1940s, uh, starting in the early 1950s, the attendance really start stopped. Uh, I mean, it really it dropped. Mm-hmm. I, I'm I'm not sure what it is now. It might be like yeah, I don't know. Maybe idea. 18 million people go to the movies. Every Plus, there's week. a lot of other things to occupy people's interests. Yeah, movies were probably a huge primary yes thing movies, to escape from movies and radio. Yeah, were the two big things. Now you have TV, books, games, mm-hmm. a lot more. Yeah. So, Mimi in St. Louis has Judy Garland. Uh, maybe most people listening know that name, but it's about a family uh, going through seasons and then they might potentially move from St. Louis to New York City and there's drama in the family. Yes, that's the big that's the big storyline. Uh, whether the father wants to go to move to New York City because he thinks it, it would, the promotion would really help the family. And the uh, initially, the as you saw, the family was excited, and then they started having second thoughts, and the, oh, they didn't want to go. <laughs> but it also takes place some forty years previous. It takes place during nineteen oh four, where the St. Louis World's Fair, right? Which I think at the yeah. time was called the Louisiana exposition purchase yeah exposition purchase or vice versa Mm -hmm. so i had to look that up i had no idea what that was Mm -hmm. that was a big thing back then it looked like it was kind of like the initial like i don't even know how to describe it to people now it was almost like a temporary disney world yeah yeah you're right and uh, i remember reading at the time people kind of just thought it as like an entertainment thing um to go enjoy but looking back a lot of people consider it like a huge cultural moment and for the arts and for a time period that people would, were able to appreciate certain things that they don't normally do at, at the time. Looking back, it looks it looks nicer now. But what struck me too is I don't I've ever watched musicals, but that's like one of your primary movies. That's my number one favorite musical of yeah. all time. It was funny because having not watched a musical maybe in like twenty five years, the movie starts out and then there's this little girl that just starts singing 
into breaking out into song. Yeah. She was, uh, I don't know, she was going swimming and then she went back upstairs. They started singing Meet Me in St. Louis. Meet me in St. Louis, Louis, meet me at the... <laughs> Don't tell me the lights are shining any place but there. We will dance the hoochie-coochie. I will be your tootsie-wootsie. Meet me in St. Louis. And wasn't that a neat scene? You, uh, at the beginning of the movie, where you see the mansion, mm. the old, the Victorian mansion on a hill, oh, it was, and it just took you back, yeah, to that time period. And then you you see some snow scenes, mm-hmm. people in sleighs, and the horses riding in front of the mansion, where, yeah, where it was supposed to signify, well, this is the winter season part of the story. Yeah, and they went through different seasons. They went through Thanksgiving, yeah. Halloween. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was the I actually got sidetracked watching the movie because there's five or six people in this family. They have this big mansion, and he says he's a lawyer. But even later in the movie, one of the daughters talks about how the house that they're going to buy in New York, if they move, um, it's not going to be anything compared to this. Yes, yeah. like, you know, rich people can buy New York City homes. But I was like thinking to myself, yeah, yeah, like, you have a mansion rich, right now. Yeah, there were some question marks that you got. <laughs> As you do in a lot of movies, <laughs> sure. Too, you know. Well, I was wondering too. Maybe it was largely easier to buy homes than it is now. Like you don't have to put you didn't have to put X amount of dollars down for a home. I would presume in 1940, let alone 1903. I don't know. I feel like it might have been easier to get a big home like that. Oh yeah. There was uh, the see the Halloween scene specifically. This is 1904, and I think it was Halloween. The kids dressed up. But it was like a scary scene because these kids, apparently it's a tradition where they go and like start a fire in the middle of the street and yes. throw furniture into it. <laughs> yeah, and no. then they go to yeah. the neighbor's houses and throw powder in their face Yeah, and say that they hate them. And that was like a- Sign of courage for the kids. Uh-huh. You know, it, was you fr- it was frightening. I was like scared. I was like, I can't imagine any kids doing this right now. <laughs> <laughs> what was it like in, I mean- In the 1940s, 1940s for me? 1950s, no, we yeah. just went door to door to- uh, of course, the, the trick-or-treat night, you know, mm-hmm. supposedly if you didn't get a treat, you would do some mischief to the, to the person's house? house. Did you ever do mischief to no. anyone's houses? No, I never did. None that you would say on record? No. And of course, <laughs> and before trick-or-treat, you had mischief night, right? So yeah. you just did mischief uh, whether you got a treat or not. Mm-hmm. This was before, the, you know, the trick-or-treat day. Was uh, Judy Garland in this movie, this was post-Wizard of Oz, right? This was after Wizard yes, of Oz? Yes, after Wizard of Oz, yes. She, was she like the biggest star at the time in movies? She was big, big. In fact, she didn't want to do this movie because she was she got very popular with Wizard of Oz, but surprisingly, Wizard of Oz wasn't a big hit when it first came out. It was through the years that it gained a big audience, but- she was uh, then. She did a lot of juvenile musicals with Mickey Rooney, mm-hmm. where they would get together and say, "Hey, let's 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 rent a barn and put on a show. We'll have our own Broadway show." So there was a number of like Babes in Arms, Babes on Broadway, uh, Strike Up the Band. Where they were juvenile, she played the juvenile along with Mickey Rooney. There was a lot of singing and dancing, and the kids would usually put on a neighborhood show somewhere. 
And then when the early 1940s came around, she was tired of playing the young, pert girl next door type. And she was hoping to get more mature roles. Mm. So when they offered her Meet Me in St. Louis, she refused it. But she was talked into it by the director, Vincenti Minnelli. Whom she later married. Yeah, whom she later married. And they're the parents of... Uh, Liza Minnelli. Yes, Liza Minnelli. Mm. And boy, uh, as it turned out, she was so happy she did it because it was one of the biggest, probably the biggest movie hit that she did. Uh, she did one in 1948 called uh, Easter Parade, which was a big musical too with Fred Astaire. Mm. But uh, Meet Me in St. Louis is everything came together. The cast was a great cast. The actress who played her mother, mm -hmm. Mary Astor, yeah, they were all who, great. Was, who was a great character actor. Actress Leon Ames was the father. He was a great character actor. The grandfather, mm -hmm. Harry Davenport, was, came from vaudeville. Years and years in vaudeville. The lovable... If you're ever looking for a lovable, cuddly, warm-hearted grandfather, he was the perfect one for that part. Mm. Not anymore. He's dead now. <laughs> <laughs> Margaret O'Brien as Tootie. Oh, yeah. The lovable Tootie. <laughs> who who uh, tried to kill several people on that trolley. Uh, yes, yes. <laughs> and blamed... Blamed, blamed the next door bow. Yeah, blame, yes, the lovable and next door neighbor. That was that. That's I didn't like that. I would have really slapped her <laughs> if I had a chance. Uh, in the movie, the young uh, daughter runs. Uh, so they hear her scream down the street, and Judy Garland carries her home. She's got like a cut lip and a yeah. tooth missing. She says yes. the next door neighbor <laughs> tried to kill her, I, and she I barely know. escaped. So they just take her yeah. in. The doctor comes. And then later you find out that they threw a dummy in front of the trolley yes. trying to get it uh -huh. uh, derailed and they had screwed it up and she got hit by the trolley. Yes. <laughs> but there was no repercussions from that. She never no, really no, got in trouble right. at all. She, she had ice cream been, that night. Yeah, she should have been di disciplined some way. Because Judy Garland even went after the neighbor to try to defend yes, her sister. She hit him. And he had no idea what she was talking about. And uh, in real life, Mary Astor, who played the mother... Really wasn't that crazy about Margaret O'Brien. The kid? Yeah, because really? in later life, she said every, every time she looked at Margaret O'Brien, Margaret O'Brien had this expression like she was about to do something terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't trust any young child who could act at that age yeah, like that well. Because they, I, I, I would think something was going on oh, yeah. at some point. I mean, of course, Shirley, Shirley Temple was the biggest child star ever in movies, but I was, I was never big on child actors. To me, that, 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 the first thought I had was, uh, what a spoiled brat. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but there's one child actor that I really cottoned to, and I loved this child actor, Macaulay Culkin, mm. in the Home Alone movies. Yeah, it's one of James's favorite movies. Really? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I just thought he was great. And not ob obnoxious, and he just didn't rub you the wrong way. He was just a lovable kid, I guess, because he was so natural. Mm -hmm. He was really, I think he was underappreciated as an actor, really. Plus, he got, I think he got messed up in drugs yeah, later in did. life. Yeah, probably happen. a lot of ch popular it, child actors yes, have. Yes, yes. 
But just think of the music, mm-hmm. so, the great songs that came from that movie, originally written for the movie, not taken from Broadway, like uh, The Boy Next Door, mm-hmm. classic, the trolley song, yeah, classic, and uh, what when they're about to move the next day and uh, Margaret O'Brien goes out and knocks down all the snowmen snowman. that she uh, uh, that she built because she's so uh, terrified about moving and they're at the window. Uh, with, she's at the window with Judy Garland and they're looking out the window and it's, it's snow on the ground and Judy Garland s- sings the classic Christmas song Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas Have yourself a merry little Christmas Let your heart be light Next year all Margaret O'Brien is alongside of her listening, and you can see the tears going down her face. She had the ability to cry at the drop of a hat. The director told her, I want you to start crying right now. She could do it. Wow. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah, there was a lot of uh, great songs in the film. Yeah. And Oh, uh, Skip to My Lou. Skip, skip, skip to Malou. Skip, skip, skip to Malou. Skip, skip, skip to Malou. Put on your Sunday go to me and I'll take you by the hand. If you will be my dancing partner, we will dance to beat the band. So join the promenade and And of course, meet me in St. Louis. I don't think there's ever been a movie that has so many great songs in in the one movie. I was reading on the Wikipedia earlier that. Rodgers and Hammerstein wrote a song for Judy Garland, but it slowed down the movie too much, so they took it out. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. It's, it just got, sometimes I just think a movie is too long. To me, the perfect movie is an hour and a half. Mm-hmm. Modern day movies, to me, are just too long. They're like, a lot of them are two hours or over two hours. And you're sitting there, and after a while, you start looking at the uh, walls of the movie. <laughs> mm, what kind of decor is here, you know? <laughs> well, plus, you need to get up and walk around. Otherwise, you might never be able to get up. Jeez, yeah. <laughs> An hour and a half is, is good for a movie. Ex- it, it, unless you have a movie like Gone with the Wind, there's, mm-hmm. that eventually becomes a classic, you know? Yeah. The, uh, the other thing I was, uh, took note of was how the father... Uh, made the decision to move to New York without even consulting his wife at the time. He just came home and told the whole family at, right. at, after dinner or one yeah. night. I thought that was funny yeah. and and a part of the time around then. I I watched Meet Me in St. Louis so many times, but that one scene where they wake up on Christmas morning and he tells the family that, okay, I decided we're not going to move. We're going to stay here until we rot. And everybody is gets so happy and you see Mary Astor as the mother she turns away and starts walking and starts crying and the husband the father sees her doing that 
And he walks up to her and puts his arms around her. Uh-huh. And she looks at him with this expression of gratitude and happiness. Every time I see that scene, I tear up, even though I know what's coming. Yeah. That, that scene just, the acting and the mood of the whole scene just gets to me every time. Something that gets to me every time is the quality of product from Half Double Design, not your granny's crochet. If you're looking for a new scarf, winter hat, blanket, tie, beanie, or just about anything that can be crocheted together in the highest of quality, look no further than Half Double Design. Amanda is waiting to hear from you and you won't regret it. Check out halfdoubledesign.com for more. It was super well done because he sees the his youngest daughter destroy the snowman and he yeah. kind of watches it from afar as yeah. Judy... Um, which another thing I took note of was how all the daughters were very motherly. Like they could yes. easily just kind of take over the role of mother in the family. Yeah. Um, so he kind of watches it from afar and then he goes, see, he sees Judy take the other daughter upstairs. He kind of just observes from the study and then he goes and sits and is about to light a cigar. It, it was a long scene, but it showed him kind of contemplating yeah. the decision that he made and it, maybe I should reverse it. I thought that was like really well done. Yes. I mean, it was, the movie had so much humanity in it. Just the interaction between the family members, so many tender moments, heartwarming moments. How many scenes like that do you see in today's movies? Not many. Not many because uh, this movie, you know, around the era, they had a long takes of just one camera angle yeah. kind of almost like yeah. a play on Broadway and the scene you mentioned where he goes over to his wife I remember specifically where she was kind of just like looking away crying Yeah. and the first time he touched her was her hand was like on the piano and he put his hand on hers yes. and that's how she knew he was there I thought that was yeah. really well done but that was another long shot it was like maybe a minute long of the right. family reacting and then she moves to the left side of the screen and then yes. he comes in mm-hmm. they took, yeah they they take a scene and they they're not afraid to prolong the scene trying to get the special effect uh, they take their time with scenes whereas a lot of modern day films quick cutting mm-hmm. you know from one scene to another you know that's why I'm a movie buff I d- I'm always hoping to see a film that has some magical quality to it, some enchanting quality to it. It's got magic. You can't explain it. There's, I mean, you can you can't dissect it. It's either there or it isn't there. It's just like all the ingredients come together, and you have movie magic, and you're completely in that story. You lose yourself, and and you're affected emotionally so much. That it's almost like the movie grabs you by the throat. Mm-hmm. Of course, a lot of movies don't have that. I mean, there's a lot of good movies that don't have that magical quality. Mm-hmm. But every now and again, you know, you find a movie like that. What's a drama that has that uh, quality to it? King's Row. That's my favorite drama. King's Row it was made in 1942. Great cast. It was from a best-selling book. And it was a story. It was the story that took place in some, uh, like average American small town. And for 1942, 
it was pretty daring. And in fact, the book was so daring that a lot of the scenes you never saw in the movie. But it tried to show you what goes on behind closed doors in a seemingly respectable family. Mm. And this was, well, it came out in 1942, but the story itself took place in 1905. So similar to Meet Me in St. Louis. Yeah. Yeah, but not didn't have that wholesome quality that uh, St. Louis had. Because it, it, it took you behind closed doors to find out how screwed up some families really are. And it had some frank sexual talk and even some frank sexual scenes, which was unusual for that time period too. But that was another movie that grabbed me emotionally in a different way. Mm -hmm. But the movie had uh, movie magic. Another great drama is A Place in the Sun with Montgomery Clift, Elizabeth Taylor, and Shelley Winters. Great drama, great story. Mm. Downbeat, very sad in a lot of ways, but uh, movie magic. Another example of movie magic. Everything comes together. I remember growing up, we had the bookcase with all those film uh, hardcover books. What was that series called? Oh, yeah, the films of the... Uh, a, each one had a year, I think. Yeah, films. Oh, The Screen World. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. The Screen World uh, is a publication, a hardcover publication that came out every year from 1949. I think they still put it out, but I'm not sure. It gave you every movie that was made that year, gave you scenes, picture scenes from the film, and the at the end of the book, it told you all the prominent film personalities that died during that year. And it gave you pictures of what they called promising personalities of, say, 1949. And it gave you a list of all the foreign films, plus photographs from every foreign movie that was ever made. Expense, it was expensive for it. For the time that I started buying it, I think it was like $18 a copy. Mm. I, I still have uh, every one that I bought. Really? Yeah, I guess I have about, hmm, from 1949. Well, I, I, had to buy, I had to go back in time and start buying back issues because I really started collecting it in 1953. They're thick. They're like hardcover books, yeah, right? Yeah, nice, nicely done but, hardcover, I, good quality paper too that it's on. You haven't ever tried to sell those, have you? No. I've I've donated it, a lot of a lot of my movie stuff because it's just too much. But the screen worlds I'll never I'll always keep. So if you mm, want them, I'd love them. Oh yeah, so you can have them. Yeah, cuz we could put them in that uh our reading room or our yeah, fire room. Yeah, for your bookcase. For the bookcase. Yeah. Yeah, I remember I think going when I was a kid, I remember going through those and I think I looked through 1989 to find out what it said about Batman. And I remember seeing still photographs of the movie Batman. Oh, yeah. And earlier in the show, I referenced going through Wikipedia, but that was essentially the Wikipedia of the time at a That's lot of right. things because you got to see the mm -hmm. inside details of those films being made and yeah. kind of like set photos. And you couldn't really see them anywhere else. That's right. Really. Oh, and also gave you... Uh, a synopsis of all the Academy Awards that were ever uh, pre presented, starting from 1929, I mm -hmm. think. 
who won that or who did this, you know? What what do you think brought you to becoming a movie buff? When did your when did your parents come over? Well, they came out my parents were never movie people. But my my father came over from Poland around 1918, I guess after the after World War 1, and my mom came over around 1926. They didn't know one another. They met after they got here. How did they meet? Uh that, you know, I don't remember. Lost, that story. lost to the sands of time. Yeah. So they were never movie buffs or that, no, you, that you could no. remember. No, but we had a neighborhood theater because we lived in a row house in, in the Philadelphia? Fa- Fairmount section of Philadelphia, which coincidentally in the last 20 years has become the in place hmm. for young professionals have bought a lot of homes in the Fairmount section, the row homes that I that I used to live in. And the consequently, because, I don't know why, because it's close to the parkway, it's close to all the uh, uh, attractions that Philadelphia has, like the Art Museum. And, uh, but but anyway, I mean, the prices have skyrocketed. Those yeah. homes Sometimes when a, when a builder has enough money I think they call that gentrification when an area, I'm not sure if that specific area has ever gone downhill, but a lot of times a builder will come in and, you know, improve the area and then a different crowd of people come in. Yeah. But we walked, excuse me, we walked about five blocks to go to the neighborhood theater. It was called the Fairmount. And it, uh, it was, as I remember, I guess 15 cents might have been mm. to go see a movie. And as young as I was, I think I, what, the t- say 1948, I was 10 years old. But I would sit through adult movies and appreciate them. Like I remember seeing a reissue of Gone with the, Gone with the Wind, which was made in 1939, and this was a reissue in 1948. And I was enthralled. With Gone with the Wind, I can remember so many individual scenes from that movie. And that was a long movie. That was like three and a half hours. But even at that tender age, I just fell in love with movies. 15 cents. 15 cents, yes. Now they're $15. Mm -hmm. And popcorn is $15. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Candy was... Anywhere from two cents to five cents, I think. Mm-hmm. What do you think is uh, some of the best movies you've seen in the last like uh, couple of years? Oh gosh, last couple of years. Well, I just saw one recently you know, that I got from Netflix called "The Lied" with Brad Pitt. Never heard of it. And this uh, French actress Marion Cotillard, mm-hmm. who won the Academy Award a few years ago for playing uh, the French singer Edith Piaf, I think it was called La Vie en Rose. But anyway, a story took place during World War II, where Brad Pitt is an intelligence officer uh for the united states and he marries a french girl who was part of the french resistance but the uh, government comes to brad pitt and says that we in fact she was heroic during the french resistance but the government comes to uh 
Brad Pitt and says, we, have, we hate to tell you this, but we think your wife is a spy. Oh, I do remember hearing about this. For the Nazis. Yeah. Good story. That was one of the recent ones. And then a few years ago, I, what I thought was a good movie was uh, uh, My Big Fat Greek Wedding. But that was a great comedy. <laughs> that was more than a few years ago. Yeah. <laughs> but it's still modern day for me. You know, they made a sequel to it. I know. Did I think it was I a big like bomb. I didn't like the sequel, and I didn't like the TV series. That the TV series was very swarmy and seamy. I thought you liked swarmy and, no. and seamy. No. <laughs> the movie was clean cut. The first one was a very clean cut, good family comedy. But then they started to go haywire. I don't think there's it. many sitcoms that aren't swarmy I, or seamy. <laughs> <laughs> I can't that's name right. one off the top of my head. That, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, that's the two that I can think of. Oh, uh, we did like uh, Wonder Woman, mm. the new version of Wonder Woman. I thought that was well done. She was great in it, the the main star. What uh, about the uh, musical with Ryan Gosling? What was that one called? Did you well, see that? Uh, we, uh, I went with Mom and Joe and Valentine. After the movie, we talked about it. They both, everybody hated it but me. <laughs> <laughs> I liked it. What, uh, why, do you, why don't you think they liked it? I don't know. They were just turned off by it. Hmm. it I, seems I, right up your they alley. Didn't, they didn't like the ending. It didn't have a happy ending, really. Hmm. But it wasn't any, it didn't fall into the category of musicals that I usually like, like Me in St. Louis or Gigi. Uh, Easter Parade, mm -hmm. it was kind of offbeat compared to those musicals, but I just thought it was well done, and uh, an original type story, I liked it. Yeah. I'm trying to think of other musicals that have come out. Not many. Less, but, uh, Chicago was one, right? Yeah. Richard I wasn't Gere. that crazy about that no. one. What if yeah, uh, Moulin Rouge? Wasn't that a- uh, Oh, yeah. That was well, and Nicole Kidman. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was well done. I did like that. Did you mm -hmm. go to Moulin Rouge when you were in France visiting Joe? Oh, yes. We uh, walked by it, but we didn't go in it when Amanda and I were there. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah, well, I think uh, you guys contributed to- our, uh, The trip, yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. of the trip. And I think Meg and Tom contributed to- a, They gave us a treat to go to Moulin Rouge. V a very impressive show. It was like watching a Broadway production. Mm. They had the lavish costumes. They had good sets there. They had great choreographed dance numbers. They had they had singing, and uh, my gosh, I, I it totally I was blown away with. Of course, they have the beautiful ladies mm. with the bare tops, you know. Of course, but very tastefully done. Nothing seamy or swarmy about it. <laughs> Otherwise, you'd be In out fact, of there. In fact, the sitcoms are swarmier than uh, <laughs> the Moulin Rouge shows, really. <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen uh, Coco yet? The new Pixar movie? No, but I think we, the kids want to see that. Yeah, we saw it uh, two weeks ago. We liked it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It got a good, uh, good play. Mm -hmm. The critics liked it. Oh, and I did like uh, the live version of Cinderella. That Disney made. Oh, yeah. I forgot I about that. I like Cinderella, and I liked... What about Beauty and the Beast? Uh, not Cinderella. Yeah, was Cinderella? No, I'm, I'm sorry. I mean Beauty and the oh, Beast. Okay. Yeah. Beauty and the Beast I liked. 
that was the latest live version of a Disney film. I like that a lot. In fact, I got it again on Netflix, then I watched it. I think second they're doing time. a live version of Aladdin also. Yeah. I also saw them announce something about The Lion King. Hmm. I don't know how that's going to work. Well, Aladdin was good because it had some good songs in it. Had great songs. Yeah. It was also uh, way back when when they used to do animated movies without stars as the voices. Right. Actual voice actors. Mm-hmm. And the, the bad thing about uh, what happened with Disney Studios is they had they had two songwriters that were great. They were a team. They did they they did um, Mary Poppins. They wrote the songs for that. They wrote the songs for a number of good Disney hits. <sighs> hmm. They and they wrote Aladdin, but then the the one part of the songwriting team died, mm. and. They oh, they also wrote the songs for the uh, first Beauty and the Beast. But the one guy died, and the, after he passed away, this other guy hooked up with another partner, but the music didn't seem as good afterwards, after this one fellow passed mm. away. I forget his name. Yeah, those Disney movies used to be number one songs out of those movies. Every, every, song, every movie seemed to have a number yeah. one song out of it. That's right. I don't. I don't like the idea of, they, of them making another Mary Poppins. They're remaking everything now. Uh, it's the only way to Mary make money. Mary Poppins was so great. In fact, I think it was Walt Disney's favorite movie that his studio made, and uh, that was such a classic. And it had the movie magic that I was talking about right. before. And you can't duplicate that movie magic with a with a, a remake. Just can't do it. So I think that one that uh, I can understand making re- a lot of remakes, but not that that one you should stay away from. Just like you can't make a remake of Gone with the Wind. I'm surprised they haven't tried yet. Maybe there's some they kind of contract. They, made, uh, contract. they did make a, a TV. Oh, really? Uh, not a remake, but uh, what they call the continuation of what would happen to Red Butler and. Scarlett O'Hara. You How, know? When, when did that come out? Uh, that came out about maybe 25 years ago, and it quickly disappeared. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> nobody talks about it. <laughs> nobody, uh, very, you know, I don't think anybody remembers it but me. <laughs> so how was your uh, first podcast appearance uh, in the interview? I know before you said you, uh, anyone who appears on camera or on audio has to perform. But yeah, I don't think you had. Yeah. I don't, well, it's I guess because I'm talking to you, and I get so I get emotional talking about movies. <laughs> but be, I have to mention one other scene yeah. I love in Meet Me in St. Louis is after the party. You know, the family has a party, and she 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 invites the, the boy next door, mm-hmm. and everybody goes home, and he helps her put the candles out the lights out with this pole or something the gas lights and the interaction between the two of them while this scene is happening you remember that yeah i remember because he he tries to do it and the camera is up near the lights so it's looking down at them and he tries to do it and can't do it and she grabs his hand and shows him how to do it yeah and then when she comes down the steps and he sees her face 
at the uh, at the railing or the balcony there, and he and he recites a poem, mm. like a love poem to her, about the way her face looks in the shadows. Ah, just great. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thanks, Dad, for uh, sitting with me and uh, talking about your favorite movie. Well, it was a pleasure. Good talking with you, Matt. Maybe we can do another one in the future. Okay. Maybe maybe I'll watch King's Row. All right. Yeah. And we can talk oh, about please that. Please watch that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Oh, and a kid, Ronald Reagan's in it. Really? And it's one of the uh, it's one of the best movies he was ever in. Mm. Think- and he has some very good. He did a great acting job in that movie. And they had high hopes for him to start in other dramatic films. But then World War II came along and he enlisted in World War II. And then after the war, he start, he was hoping to resume his career. And he just never could pick that up. Hmm. The promise that he showed in King's Row never materialized in his later movies. So you thought he could have been? Uh, I think so. A big One of name. the be- yeah, a better. Tra- he would have been better remembered for his movie career than that, than he is now. Because when he was president, they used to make fun of his movies. Like he made a movie called Bedtime for Bonzo. About <laughs> yeah, he a used to say that when it was time for bed at the house. <laughs> he used to tell us it was bedtime for Bonzo. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> but it was about he, he was a college professor who had a, a monkey for a pet. <laughs> Yeah, nobody talks about King's Road, but they talk about bedtime for Bonds. Maybe we can change that next time we talk yeah. on the show. All right, see you later. Okay, be with us next week when our special guest will be. Yellow. That's it for this episode of Lincoln Bio. If you liked it, awesome. Tweet out a link or Facebook it or whatever you usually do to tell people that you like something. Maybe text. I don't know. Leave a review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. Just let me know on Twitter that you liked it. Or Instagram, if you use Instagram. If you didn't like it, can't win them all, you know?